We're continuing our series in the Minor Prophets, and today we come to the book of Joel. And so I'm going to read some verses in three different places in chapter 2, 1 through 3, 12 to 14, and 28 to the end. Follow along with me. Hear the word of the Lord. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, that all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. And then down to verse 12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. And down at verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the key phrase I'm going to focus on. It shall come to pass, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. So I'm only going to make two points tonight. I normally make three. Joel, Joel has two points in it. One... Point one, judgment. Judgment. Point two, salvation. Right? You can remember that. Judgment and salvation. That's what Joel has to say. And where I started out in the chapter um, is this vision. There's this powerful vision I didn't read in, in chapter one. of It's this vision of the wrath of God. But Joel is actually a little nonspecific. We don't really know when it was dated. Um, it could have been 9th century B.C. It could be 5th, 4th century B.C. But the message is nonetheless clear. God is angry at the wickedness of the people of Israel. And this vision, yes, yeah, this locust plague. I was once in my grandparents' church visiting. It was the holidays. And the average age of my grandparents' church at that time was probably 85. I mean, my grandfather, like at 82, was still the young guy who set up the tables for the fellowship. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was, very, it was like all these older relatives of mine. And it was the holidays, so they were all their, like, children because they had these huge clans, right? So we'd all shown up. Um, and we were discussing this passage, Joel. And I remember my great aunt saying, you know, reading about the locust plagues, the cutting locusts and the devouring locusts and all this. And she just starts like, well, you know, back in the 20s and 30s when she was a kid in the Midwest, they had locust plagues, right? We didn't have pesticides. You know, they weren't spraying pesticides. They had locust plagues. Like, they would come. This is what she said. Just not, you know, they, it's not just they eat everything, all your crops. You know, they, it's not locusts aren't polite. They're not like, okay, I'll... I'll take 10% and leave you still a sufficient, you know, to serve. No, the, everything, the ground is covered 
with these grasshoppers, and even they would gnaw on the fences, my aunt said. Right? They'd gnaw the wood on the fences down uh, before they moved on to you know, the next town. Locus, this is why you should go to Bible studies with old people. Right? <laughs> it's like access to people who've actually experienced some of the things described in the Bible. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. So this is the there's this vision of like God's anger, right? It's fierce. This is like a major theme in the prophets, as you've noticed if you've been listening over the semester, um, or if you've read any one of them, that's a major theme. And so it shows up in chapter two of Joel, there's this vision, God's army is coming. God's army is coming. And I was thinking about judgment. You know, recently it was the some anniversary of um, the O.J. Simpson case. I guess it'd been 20 years. Um, uh, I mean, I know you're all too young. You weren't alive, right? You've heard of O.J. Simpson, yeah? Right, trial of the century. Like, this was so big. So I watched, there was like a, you know, a dr- dramatization miniseries, and then there was this ESPN documentary on the Oscar. I was watching these things. Because, you know, in my, when I was a teenager... Like, that was a big deal. I don't know how big a deal it was. Like, when the verdict came down in the O.J. Simpson case, I was in uh, AP Physics, right? It was AP Physics class. The, the teacher, he, would, he did not care about pop culture. He would wear Star Trek uniforms to class, you know, with his walk ears, right? He was a brilliant physicist. His PhD, it was great. Even he, like, we stopped. The whole school stopped to watch the verdict. They brought the TVs, turned them on. I mean, I know public schools often do that, but like, this was AP Physics. We did real learning there, and we stopped. <laughs> we stopped to hear the verdict. You know, and I, you know, came in, and like, he was, he was acquitted, and you know, we being a white Asian, you know, group of people in AP Physics, we were all like, you could hear the whole school was just like, oh, you know, the man got off. Guilty as, you know, anyway, that was the response. So why do I tell this story about O.J. Simpson? So, you know, I, watched, I was watching these, these articles, because, you know, O.J. then lived, like, you know, majority of people then still thought, even though he was acquitted, they still thought he did it. And I was, um, so I wanted to see O.J. Simpson. He was a football great. I wanted to watch, like, you know, some of his great runs. He did some amazing runs. Um, still one of the greatest running backs in the history of American football. So I found this clip you can find on YouTube, O.J. Simpson Highlights. You know, it went on for about a minute, just describing, you know, had the normal voiceover. And about one minute in, it shifts to this song. So you're just watching OJ doing these amazing moves. And this song, I'm like, oh, it's Johnny Cash. You recognize the, the voice. And it's like, you can run on for a long time, run on for a long time. That's, the, that's how the phrase goes. But sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. <laughs> sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. So Johnny Cash, you should Google this song when you go home tonight. This is your homework. Johnny Cash, God's going to cut you down. All right? God's going to cut you down. And it goes on, you know, Johnny Cash is singing. I'm, obviously, this is very prejudicial to O.J. Simpson from the creator of this O.J. Simpson Highlights YouTube video. Um, but what struck me from that, leaving aside O.J., what struck me from that, so here's Johnny Cash. He's just singing it matter-of-factly. You know, I was speaking to the man from Galilee, and he sent me out to do his will, which is to go and tell the Rambler, the gambler, there's, you know, all these people, wicked people described to tell them what? That God is going to cut you down. And if you, you may not know who Johnny Cash is, I mean, again, you're too young to remember the O.J. Simpson trial. Why do you know Johnny Cash? Do you know who Johnny Cash is? How many people? Okay, country great. He's sort of like a country Bob Dylan, like a poet. Um, like speaking profound truths about life, just in like a country version. And what, what struck me about 
Johnny Cash's song, God's Gonna Cut You Down. It's, you know, Johnny Cash, he, Johnny Cash was, did a lot of bad things in his life. Right? When he talks about, like, God's gonna cut you down, like, he's not just talking about those other people. Like, he's referring to himself. Like, there's a, one of the videos of the song is, like, mugshots, and then they throw Johnny Cash's mugshot, you know, in the middle. Right? It's like, but Johnny Cash was in a branch of Christianity. He grew up in rural Arkansas, I think. You know, hard scrabble. People's sins were open. He did evil things. People knew it. He was growing up in a branch of the church where it was a normal, is a normal thing to talk about judgment, right? Normal thing. Because, you know, I don't do that. Like, I don't in personal hour with students when, you know, I don't just come out with like, you know, you know what? God is going to cut you down. <laughs> I have never said, I have never said that. I've never said that. Truth be told, I have been tempted to say it once or twice. <laughs> once or twice. Um, I'm going to describe the details of those circumstances, but even then, maybe when I should have said it, I didn't. Because, you know, we don't really think about, like, judgment. You know, I mean, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have committed felonies? Right? How many of you committed felonies? Don't tell me. Tell me in private. Tell me in private. You don't need to declare that here. You know, it's like, how many of you gone to jail? And, you know, you weren't innocent. Like, you, you had it coming. You had it coming. Right? How many of you know anyone who's committed a felony? Okay, Matt Helm does. Robbie. All right? So we have, we have some. But it's like, we're nice, polite, good people. Like, we do good stuff. We, we can't, we're, we're, we hide our sin deep down and we're good at it. We're really good at it. So that's just, you know, it's just not the way in which we speak. So when we come to Joel, it's sort of like, you like tense up. You know, at this talk of, like, God has this army that's, like, swarming locusts that's going to come over us and destroy us. Man, ouch. What do we do with that? I think the important thing to recognize is, like, in understanding that point, one, there there will be a judgment, is, like, there is a problem with the world. There is a need. There is a need. Now, we all know that there are needs, that we have needs, that we get. Right? We can all say, like, there are things we would like to be delivered from. We would like to be saved from. Right? So even in Princeton, where it's like, you know, we, you know, we generally speaking like each other, and you might say, oh, people are generally speaking good. Nonetheless, like, people have struggles. People have difficulties. People suffer things. So we recognize that. And so maybe when we talk about that second point, Joel makes salvation, we feel like, yeah. And think of a few things I'd like to be saved from. I mean, yourself, what would you like to be saved from in your current circumstances? Right? Surely there are some things, even beyond, you know, getting that grade back on your midterm. I mean, even beyond that, right? It's like we got real stuff going on that we know we need to be saved from. But, like, the prophets, this message that God is angry at sin, you know, it is less popular among the wealthy privileged. You know, when we call out for salvation, like, our first impulse is, well, I don't know what your first impulse. Some representative impulses here are like, we are going to form a committee to deal with this. <laughs> right? I, mean, I think I was in Bible study once, the one grad student woman, she was married to this German man. He, he wasn't a citizen. Um, he got picked up by immigration because he'd overstayed his visa. Alright, well, I mean, it was a little more complicated than that. But anyway, he was picked up and put in an immigration detention center in Newark. So she shared this. This has just happened. So, so what did I do? Did I pray? No, I turned to my right, and there was 
the guy who was the personal assistant to our congressman. And we said, fix this. <laughs> and he did, right? All the congressmen. Congressman calls the, you know, no, the congressman doesn't do it. The per- from the congressional off, congressman's office, you call the immigration detention center. And you say, why have you arrested this perfectly wonderful German husband of this president? He was out the next day. That was it. Always. Right? So we don't go in prayer. We're not like, who loves the minor prophets are people who are oppressed. Right? Martin Luther King preached from the Martin. Martin Luther King Jr. preached from the Minor Prophets all the time. Justice will flow down like rivers. Because it's like what he was dealing with in the Civil Rights Movement was persistent, systematic oppression, opposition. So when he read the prophets and God's judgment, you're like, yes, this is, this, this is the world we live in. God is angry at it. He made it. And look what we do with it. And he's angry at it. And my hope, I'm sure I'm going to work for solutions in this world. I'm going to see what we can do, men and women, to solve these issues. But I know there needs to be a judgment, right? I know there needs to be a judge. I know there is a judge. We didn't create ourselves, and we are responsible for what we do. So that's point one. There will be a judgment. That's a, you know, if you suffer from that kind of oppression, that kind of difficulty, where you, you can't just, you know, Turn to your right and talk to that person and say, fix this. This is, this is where you turn. When you come to the end of man, you come to the beginning of God. That's what Spurgeon, English preacher of the 19th century, said about this. When you come to the end of what man can do, you come to the beginning of God. You turn to God and you say, yes, there must be a judgment against all this wickedness. Well, point two, salvation. Because Joel isn't just. I mean, sometimes you know people start reading the prophets and it can go on chapter after chapter, God's anger, anger against sin, and people just get bogged down, there is always the promise of restoration. And there's a lot here in Joel. It's a rich book for this. There's this powerful vision. I read a few of those verses in 12 to 14. Even now declares the Lord, rend your hearts and not your garments. Confess you know, your sin. Return to the Lord. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So there's that promise. But here, in the end of chapter 2 of Joel, we find the central powerful verse. The verses that are, uh, Spurgeon calls them more a morning star for the New Testament. So this verse is 28 to 32, where it's, And it shall come to pass, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Where is this quoted in the New Testament? Those of you who know. Acts 2 on Pentecost. Right? What is Pentecost. Peter preaching on Pentecost in Acts 2. The Holy Spirit comes in power. It's day one of the Christian church. So this is the sermon text passage. This is the passage for the first sermon of the Christian church that Peter preaches. And I'm not, I can't go through all this, so I'm going to leave aside a bit your sons of this this amazing vision. It won't just be a few elite prophets who prophesy, but the Spirit will come. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old, young servants, as well as masters, right? They will prophesy. I will pour out my Spirit. I will show wonders. Sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. But the verse I'm going to focus on, the phrase, is that first part of verse 32. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter, Peter quotes this. They wanted the Christian church. Paul also in Romans 10. There's this powerful passage in Romans 10 where he's talking about how do you get saved? This is the verse he goes to. 
how do you get saved? It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What do I want to say about this salvation that's offered? First, it's simple. This is simple. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This isn't like what it takes to get a Princeton degree. PhDs, and I, I, I do ministry with graduate students for PF. Getting a PhD from Princeton is hard, right? It's hard. I, you know, I once made the mistake of telling an undergrad who was struggling with their thesis. I'm like, well, it's not like a thesis is like, you know, a, P, a dis- PhD dissertation. And this undergrad was so upset with me, you know, because <laughs> to her in that moment, her thesis was like, you know, the, the hardest, and I'm not denigrating. Theses are incredibly good. I shouldn't even be telling this story. Some of you are like, facing thesis deadlines this week. It's hard, yeah? Like, is this what it takes to get saved? Is it that level of work? Imagine how hard your thesis is. Then you've got to go to a PhD order of magnitude more difficult. Some of you plan to do that, right? Is that what it takes to get saved as a Christian? To be saved from the judgment that is to come, or all the troubles that we deal with? How much knowledge does it require? How much intellect? How much wisdom? How much experience? This is what it requires. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul unpacks this in Romans 10. He says, anyone who confesses Jesus as Lord and believes God raised him from the dead will be saved. This is what it takes. let's, Let's unpack that. It's simple. It's not do all these tasks. It's confess. I mean, it's simple, but it's actually so deep and so powerful. To say it's simple, all God is asking of you is to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. What does that mean? Well, first, you need to call on call on whose name, right? It's not just any name. The, the word here that's translated as Lord is Yahweh, right? Yahweh. Call on Yahweh to be saved. It's not like call on David Keddy's name to be saved, <laughs> to speak foolishly, blasphemously. Like, what could I do for you? Now, you know, if you're in trouble or difficulty, call my call my number, right? Call on the name of Chris Saturday to be saved. No, it's like, you know, here's the truth. Actually, we would do a lot for you. We would do a lot for you if you called us. We would do a lot for you. Whatever, whatever God would have us do to walk alongside you. That's not, we can't save you, though. Right? We can't save you. Because we didn't create you. I didn't make this world. Chris didn't make this world. We don't know your hearts. You don't owe us fealty. Right? If I start asking you to call me Lord, like walk out the door. Right? Tell Bill to fire me. You know, it's like, so simple. But Jesus is Lord. Why is he Lord? A, because he's God. B, especially, how has he provided salvation? How has he lord over your life? He's paid the price for that wrath of God. He has paid, uh, what do I mean by that? Like, what is the message of the Christian cross? The message of the Christian cross is, yeah, a lot of bad stuff happens in this world. And we are part of that. And God doesn't just ignore that. I mean, that would be nice, but that would only work if the the bad stuff that we do didn't really matter in the end of the day. But it does matter. But here's the truth. If you call on the name of Jesus, when you come there before the Lord to face judgment, you will be forgiven. Not because you were a good little boy or girl. Not because of your knowledge or your achievements. Not because of all the good you did to try to make up for the bad that you did. 
but because Jesus stood in your place on the cross and suffered the penalty. His death suffered the penalty for your sins so that you can be forgiven. So that makes him Lord of your life. That makes him Lord. Confess him as Lord, like old school, like from a different century, non-American style. Like, not, this isn't a democracy, though it is a family. He is also our brother and our friend. But like, like from olden times, like my master, I have been bought at, the, at a price. I am not my own. Who do you belong to? Right? We go around thinking, oh, I just I belong to myself. Right? I do my own thing. But you know, if someone came and they like, someone was about to shoot you and they stood in the path of the bullet, and for some reason they survived, you would feel an obligation to them, yeah? Even more so if like you were <laughs> you had just tried to kill them yourself and then they saved you. That's that's like where Jesus is. Right? We were his enemies, and yet he laid down his life for us. So it's this simple thing that God desires, yet so profound. Like, what does he want? Lots of actions? Well, yeah. What he wants is a transformed heart. And all those actions that we do to be a reflection of that approach to God of deep humility, where we come and we glorify, say, Lord, what do we have to offer? I have nothing but to beg forgiveness and to claim Jesus as my Lord and to receive forgiveness and to now live (coughs) saved. All right? It's just a simple thing. This salvation. Call on the name of the Lord to be saved. That is not to say it doesn't bear study. This isn't something you're just like, okay, I did that that one time. We actually, I mean, American evangelicalism, the American church has done a lot of this. Like, simple, just pray the prayer. Okay, you're done. Like, there is richness and beauty to calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. Richness and beauty. What do I mean by that? Like, the more you know, about what is God has done, the more powerful it will be when you call on his name. The more you know his mercy, the depths of his mercy <coughs> poured out on you, the deeper you're... It's like, it's like the, the difference. Jesus, at one point, he was dining with this Pharisee. And there was this woman who came in who lived, lived a sinful life. That presumably means she's a prostitute. She's publicly a sinner. And she's weeping and anointing Jesus' feet. And the Pharisee who's at dinner is like deeply scandalized, right? He's like, what's this woman doing you know, and if Jesus knew that she was a sinner, he'd turn her away, right? But it's like the Pharisee, right? He, he doesn't know how much he needs to be forgiven. The woman knew how much she needed to be forgiven. And she's just unashamed. She just loves Jesus. Full, full on, wholehearted devotion, unashamed of what other people think about. Because she knows what it is to be forgiven. If you know, if you know the wisdom of God, when we call on his name, the beauty of his plan of salvation from Genesis through Revelation. When, when, when you know, when you can say, here are the great ways in which he has delivered me. I mean, yes, from the wrath that is to come, but in this here and now, here are the ways in which he's blessed me through his people, the church. Here are the ways in which he's encouraged me in the midst of despair, the ways in which he's provided for me. When you can say all those things, then when you call on the name of the Lord, it would be that much deeper, that much more powerful, that much more beautiful. This is not just a one-and-done kind of thing. In a certain sense, it is. It's so simple. Just come, call on the name of the Lord. Confess Jesus as Lord. Do it tonight. 
but it is also our continuing confession every day if we say we are followers of Christ. And in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of joy, we continue to call on his name, to confess him as Lord. One last thing I want to say. This salvation, this salvation is for you and it's for me. It's, I mean, you, you may be saying, I, you, each one of us here is in a different place, right? Some of us here, maybe it's like you are just full of joy tonight. Life is good. God has been good to you. It is great to walk in the Lord. Classes are going great, maybe. Right? You have a wonderful family. Amen. Call on the name of the Lord. You still need a Savior. Be thankful for your current joy. Pray that it would continue. Call on the name of the Lord. Tonight, you might be you might be feeling, I am so far away. I am a hollowed out husk. What do, what do I have to say or to offer? I can't even I can't even bring myself to feel. Now I know this. I remember talking to a student. I went through this too. Like in depression. Like, just couldn't sing songs of worship in church, right? So, I mean, I did this when I was depressed. I'd have to, like, walk out. I just couldn't handle it. I just didn't have any emotion to give. So it's like, what does it mean? How can I call on the name of the Lord? Well, calling on the name of the Lord, it's precisely because we have nothing to bring. That's precisely when we call on the name of the Lord, right? It's not like, if you're saying to yourself, well, when I get right with God... When it's been more than 24 hours since I committed that habitual sin, right? I'm going to call on the name of the Lord, right? When things, when I like repair that broken relationship, when I get past this bitterness, tonight is the night to call on the name of the Lord, wherever you are, wherever you are. Maybe, maybe you are not certain that Jesus is Lord, or that God created us, or that we owe him our allegiance, or that sin is a real thing, and that we have that obligation. Nonetheless, come in prayer and seek. It's still an opportunity. Call on the Lord and test him. And say, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Read his word, and talk to his people, and see what this is all about. Because there is something greater. There are greater names than being. What are the ways I identify myself? I'm an American. I'm Scottish too, half. You know, when I was little. I'm a Princetonian. That's probably the one I'm proudest about. It's kind of nice, right? Feels good. Feels good. I'm, I'm, I'm a family man. That's better than being a Princetonian. I'm a father. All these things, what are they compared to saying I'm a Christian? follower of Jesus Christ. I pray that would be true of each one of you. If it's not, talk to anyone you find here and ask us why it is that we call on the name of the Lord for our salvation. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we call on your name, Yahweh. We confess you as Lord over our lives. We are not our own masters. Heavenly humble ourselves before you. What, what do we have to bring? Heavenly Father, we marvel at the gift of forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, we can, so sometimes the guilt of our sin is so great 
Heavenly Father, we know that your perfect love drives out all fear. The, the, the sacrifice on the cross covers over all our sins. Heavenly Father, we know, we trust that all the bitterness, the anger, the disappointment, and the despair that we struggle with, Heavenly Father, all the terrible consequences of living in a fallen world, that this bitterness will be taken away and replaced with deep sweetness by the redemptive work of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, it is a beautiful thing to us that Jesus rose from the dead. That so many people saw it, that they were transformed so dramatically and sent out to change the world by building your church. Heavenly Father, this gives us hope even in the face of death itself that it is not the end. Heavenly Father, I pray for those here uh, who are not there yet and who do not call you Lord and Savior. I pray, Heavenly Father, you be at work in their heart. I pray, Heavenly Father, for those of us here tonight who, whose hearts are, who feel overwhelmed, who look around and say there's so much that we need to be delivered from, so much, broken relationships, broken dreams, so much just that in our own hearts of despair and struggle. And Lord God, I pray, deliver us. I call on your name, deliver us. Meet each one where they are. Help those of us who are your followers to be part of that deliverance if it be your will. To help others, to bless, to care for, to encourage, to listen, to heal. Use us as your instruments. Heavenly Father, give us day a tremendous sense of what it means to be saved, to be saved and to be your son, your daughter. We pray this in Jesus' name.